go to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter number 6. And when you find your spot there, I'll have you stand. I hope that if you had some trouble this week that the Lord showed you exactly that he was there for you the whole time. Nehemiah chapter number 6. I'm going to begin reading here in verse 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. <laughs> I might have said that on purpose. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Then said Sanballat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel. For which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid. Ain't that the truth? There are a lot of things in this Christian life that makes you and me afraid. And that's the design of the devil is to get you so bound up and full of fear that you can't do what God wants you to do. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. It's good to have Coach Tuttle back with us. All on the men, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. The old hymn writer penned the words, A soldier in the army of the king of kings am I. He called me to his colors, and for him I'll live or die. Now, not only is that a great hymn, it really is, but it's a great sentiment, a great sentiment. But it's absolute truth that when you and I got saved, the Lord called you and me to be a soldier. And I believe probably one of the reasons that many of us don't know too much about a soldier is because a plethora of peacetime has ensued. Now I know at any one time now there's multiple actions going on across the world and wars here and there and nations against nations so forth and so on. But for the most part, since they stopped inflicting the draft, we really have had a lot of peacetime here. But there has a generation probably in some of our older that re remember the draft, remember the requirement to serve. 
But the Lord called us to serve. He called us to be a soldier. And a Christian who loves the Lord, I believe you're here today, I believe you love the Lord. I don't believe you come here today and you hate the Lord. I believe you're here today and you love the Lord. Amen? And you want to get something from the Lord, but a Christian who loves the Lord, you know, you never need to go looking for a fight spiritually. All you have to do is do what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, I believe it's 11, 13, and 14, and having done all to stand. When a Christian stands where the Lord tells him to do, you know what happens? The fight comes to you every single time. And this is what Nehemiah exactly has done. He's building a life for God. He's trying to build a work for God. And when he stood where God told him to stand, the fight came to him. He didn't initiate it. He didn't instigate it. He didn't go pick a fight. He didn't go taunt anybody. He didn't say, we're better than you. He just went and did what God said. And you know what you have here in Ephesians? (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 6, you have total Christian warfare. Total Christian warfare. And that's what I'd like to preach about today, just for a little bit. I'd like to preach about total Christian warfare. What breaks out here in chapter 6 is total war upon the work as well as the workmen. It's total Christian warfare. And as the old preacher said, the Christian life is in fact the bloodiest battle that a man will ever fight. Some of you have had challenging careers. Being a Christian is more bloody than having a challenging career. Some of us have had difficulties in our family and troubles and trials, but the Christian life is more bloody than the most difficult of family problems that you and I will ever have. I absolutely believe that preacher was right on the money. So according to the passage in front of us today, I'd like to let the text do the talking for a minute here. I want you to see when it concerns total Christian warfare, First of all, if you look in verse 1, I want you to see this morning that total Christian warfare is triggered by progress. It's triggered by progress. In verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem uh, the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had, what's it? Builded the wall and that there is no breach left therein. You see that right there? It is triggered by Progress, And here in the text, of course, the progress, of course, is physical. But as I want to preach this thing, when you begin to do something for the Lord, your warfare is triggered by progress. When you begin to do something for the Lord and to make headway and to commit to the Lord that you're going to do something, what happens next is it seems as if all of hell declares war upon you. Now, you need to understand that because that's the day and age you and I live in, and that's the Bible. And it's, it's triggered by progress. Now, once you begin to make any amount of... Does that make sense when I say spiritual progress? I'm not talking about financial progress. I'm not talking about career progress. I'm not talking about a hierarchical progress in your community. I'm saying when you tell the Lord and when you commit to the Lord to do something for Him, to even simply live a life that's pleasing to Him, that's spiritual progress. And once you begin to make that spiritual progress, that's when total warfare begins to hit you. Now, once you begin, once you see that progress, I want you to look out for something. 
When you begin to make progress in your Christian life, I'll, I'll just dial it right down because I'm a simple person and I need to explain. When you begin to consistently read your Bible, however many days a week or however many, whatever you choose between you and the Lord, when you begin to be consistent even in something as simple as Bible reading or committing to pray and getting de determined that I'm going to pray every day, for whatever period of time, for my windshield time, that's my time with the Lord, that's when warfare, no doubt, is going to begin. You need to understand that. I see it right in the passage. As soon as progress begins, it triggers warfare. Now, once you begin to make this spiritual progress, I want you to see this. You need to watch out because, first of all, here comes the positive approach. Look at verse 2. Remember, you're making spiritual progress. When you make spiritual progress, here comes the warfare, and this is how it's going to come. In verse 2, you need to watch out for the positive approach. And you know what these fellows say that are against Nehemiah, that are against the children of Israel, that are against the work of God, that hate God himself? They say, come, let us meet together. Doesn't that sound sweet? Let us meet together. Uh, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I'm saying you need to watch out, Christian, for the positive approach because when you begin to do what God tells you to do, here comes the positive approach to get you to stop doing what God wants you to do. If they're making progress, he would have to leave the work, wouldn't he? He's overseeing the work. And that spiritual application is as soon as you begin to make headway, as soon as you begin to put one foot in front of the other, as soon as you begin to do what you committed to the Lord and what God probably told you to do in his word, someone's going, oh, let's get together. And you're like, but if I get together with you, then I can't do what I'm supposed to be doing. But, you know, you look real nice and you're so kind. You know, what could it hurt? Whoa, beware of the positive approach. Positive approach. You remember back in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden, uh, uh, you know, uh, Eve was not beguiled by some ghoulish monster. Eve was not beguiled by some ugly snake. Moses, when writing the book of Genesis, just uses the appropriate word for who Lucifer really was. You got to remember that the Bible says, I believe it's in the, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that, that the, the devil himself can appear as an angel of light. You have to be aware of the positive approach. And the pressure from today's society and today's world, even amongst Christians, is preacher, you need to be more positive. To which I say, no, you need a good weekly dose of negativity to balance out that positive puke you had throughout the week. Amen? Now, look, it is not my desire to be a, a, a jerk all the time, <laughs> but you need to be aware of the positive approach that will pull you away from the spiritual progress you're making with the Lord. Here it is. Come, let us, let us meet together. You know what that is? That's the ecumenical movement of today. I'll say it again, that is the ecumenical movement of the day. You have to be aware of it. You have to be cautious of it. Uh, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he's going to devour you through positivity, 
seeing that in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, the very first thing the devil said was, Yay. You know what that is? That's yes. That's positive. Some of you as kids might have messed around with the Ouija board. I'm not consigning you to the lowest parts of the earth, but that thing is a mess. And that's a, that's a, that's a combination of two different languages, we and Ja. That's a yes-yes board. We is French for yes. Ja, that's another language altogether. That's a yes-yes board. And you know what it's designed to do? Get certain channels of spirits to talk to you. I'm telling you, you got to watch out for positivity. Now look, we're not preaching this, so you go around and you're a prude to everybody. You know that's what we're not preaching. But you have to be aware of positivity because spiritual, total Christian warfare is continuously triggered by spiritual progress. you got to watch out for it. Here comes the, uh, the positive approach. When the Lord called us uh, to do uh, work here in the ministry, uh, we got asked to sing in 2015 at either the, I can't remember, the right to life or some breast cancer awareness thing. And we only went on the one thing because we're allowed to pass out tracks. Between the years 2016, uh, 2016, 2021, we got no less as a family more than a dozen invites a year to sing at churches, campgrounds, beach events, beach events. And the churches were not even Bible-even churches. They weren't even Baptist churches. And you know what? You say, why didn't you go? You know, it could be your little ministry. No. Absolutely not. I will not take my family, I will not take what God called me to do here and put it on hold so I can go to a bunch of people that are on the payroll from the National Council of Churches paid for by the Roman Catholic Church just so I can try to be a blessing to lost people. You've got to be aware of the positive approach. And if you're not careful, Christian, you'll get hooked in by that positivity. Well, you know, they're just a lot nicer over there. And they don't tell us what's wrong with the world. And they're just, you know, they're all friendly. You better be, you better be careful when it comes to people always slobbering on you and always super nice. Over Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, you know what that meekness is related to? You know what the wolves do before they slaughter the sheep? They dress in sheep's clothing. That's Matthew 7. You better check that out later. I'm just saying, and I couldn't emphasize it enough, Christian, you've got to be careful of the positive approach. When you start doing what God wants you to do, I'm not sure why I'm dragging the e-brake on this. The Lord must really want me to drag this thing out a little bit. You've got to be careful because when you start doing right, the positivity shows up. Come, let us meet together somewhere. Where somewhere? Somewhere besides where God wants you to be. God wanted Nehemiah overseeing the work. God wanted Nehemiah to build the walls. And the gates still hadn't been set up. But they made so much progress that all of a sudden they got to get him to stop. Got to get you to stop. Now here, not only here comes the positive approach. Number two, look at verse four. Here comes the persistent interruptions. Persistent interruptions. Not only the, you've got to learn to see this thing, Christian, through the eyes of the Bible. When you begin to do something that the Lord wants you to do, you need to start looking through it through scriptural lens. Here comes the persistent interruptions, verse 4. Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort. And I answer them after the same manner. Ain't happening. <laughs> you ever stop and think about the interruptions in your life? 
fleshly interruptions. You start living for God. You start trying to get serious with the Lord. Or let's say you've been serious with God. You're trying to live for Him, trying to do what He wants you to do. Here comes the doctor's appointments. You see it? Here comes the surgeries. See what I mean? Here comes the health problems. Here comes the ailments. Here comes the bereavements. You say, why? Total Christian warfare sometimes. Not only fleshly interruptions, but how about, <laughs> how about financial interruptions? Well trouble? Car trouble? No car? That's trouble. Dryer quits? Our dryer quit, I don't know, what was it? September? I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? My wife, she's so, she's, so, she's so awesome. She's like, what do you worry about for? Get a stinking rack from Walmart. We'll dry them. you got the wood stove right there. We've been drying all our clothes. I mean, you come in the house the wrong day, it's underwear and everything right in the front door. <laughs> I mean, but... Amen? Like, I, I, I would never do that. You probably couldn't. I got a good woman, man. Bring them bloomers right out there for everyone. To... But they're in, in the door, you know what I mean? That's not a cry for a dryer. It's just, I'm telling you, dryer quits, car gets wrecked, well gets blowed up. Why? Just living for God. That's all we're doing, live for God. You see, some part of fundamentalism, you know what they'll do? They'll try to put you back in Calvin's back pocket and say, well, if you don't do what we do and how we do it, then God's going to come in and blow your water heater up. He's going to give you a flat. That's not the God I serve. The God I serve, when you got saved, he gave your life back to you. He said, I'd love you to live for me, but you do what you want. And I'll be with you regardless of the decisions you make. Man, that's liberating. That is stinking liberating. Well, financial interruptions. House trouble. Floor starts sagging. Trim starts falling off. You know what I'm talking about, right? You own a house, you know exactly what I'm talking about. By the time you've got something figured out, it's all falling apart. <laughs> Y'all laughing like you know what we're talking about. Well, you got fleshly interruptions, financial interruptions. How about, uh, by the way, I cried about ceiling tiles, and they're fixed. And I'm telling you, I didn't fix them. So praise God. Thank you to those who fixed the ceiling tiles. They were dragging and sagging, and I made some off. The, it was not even my notes, and I made a comment, and here it is one week later, and they're fixed. What a blessing. What else can I do? Just kidding. <laughs> but how about interruptions from your phone? We serve a good God, don't we? Amen. Flesh, financial, phone. Not an F, but phonetically works, right? <laughs> Amen? Amen. You ever, you ever want to read your Bible one day, and you forget to turn off your phone? Guess what happens? You know exactly what happens. Boop, 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 boop. Boop, ring, 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 ring. You know, I'll turn it down. Turn it off, man. Texts, emails, social media, right? All those apps. Every, isn't it funny that every app that you get from the app store wants the liberty to pester you 24-7? 
If I have to get an app, the first thing I do is, nope, I don't want to know. I don't want to see your number of things I've missed. I don't even care. You say, well, you shouldn't have a phone. You do my job without a phone. Help yourself, man. <laughs> Can I show you something? Thank you. I want to show you, uh, I want to show you the phone in the Bible. Job chapter 38. We'll just take a little pause here. We're having a good time this morning. Talk about total Christian warfare. And it's triggered by spiritual progress. And once you start making progress, you've got to watch the positive approach. And then you've got to watch the persistent interruptions. Those persistent, listen, listen, Christian, I know you're looking for Job 38. Those persistent interruptions, I'm not trying to be crude, are not because you're extremely important. It's because the devil knows that you need to be interrupted so you can't continue the right train of thought. All right? I'm going to show you uh, Job chapter 38, verse 35. This is 1800 B.C. This is the oldest book in the Bible. You know what Job says? Canst thou send lightnings that they may go and say unto thee, Here we are. Ring, ring, ring. Can you hear me now? See it right in the King James Bible? That's advanced revelation. I don't believe it. That's your problem, not mine. It's right there. And you know who rules the air? You say it's Verizon. No, it's Lucifer. You say, what's Lucifer? Lux fair, light bearer, sending the lightnings. Here we are. I want to interrupt you. I want to communicate with you. I'm going to show you another thing. Take your Bible, go to Jeremiah chapter 51. I'm going to show you from a King James Bible, whether you believe it or not, it don't bother me a bit, that Facebook is going to be around the second advent. Oh, preacher, I believe the Bible. I believe it from cover to cover, including cover. Do you? Okay, we'll see. I'm having fun this morning. Come on, someone say amen. Oh, me. Or shut up or something. Amen. Jeremiah 31. I'm going to show you Facebook at the second advent when the Lord comes back. And that's the context of the second advent right here in Je uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. But, of course, you all knew that. You're Bible readers. <clears throat> Jer I'm sorry, 51. Jeremiah 51. I'm going to show you two social media uh, groups in the Bible, and then we'll move on and so we don't ruin everyone's dinner. Amen? Jeremiah 51, look at verse 31. Okay, this is when, uh, this is when the Lord comes back. Look at it. Verse 31. One post shall run to meet another. It gets better. And one, what's that word? As in Facebook Messenger, to meet another. You believe the King James Bible? You see it right there? There's your post. There's your messenger. Now let's read it again. One post shall run to meet another, and one messenger to meet another, to show the king of Babylon the city is taken at one end. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says, Every eye shall see him. How do they, every eye see him when he only comes in one physical locale? Because you're looking at it right in front of your face. And most of you don't have original posts anyways. You just share somebody else's. Amen. I love you in the Lord. There it is. That's Facebook. Second Advent. All right. I'll show you one more. I'll show you Twitter. Ecclesiastes 10. Ecclesiastes 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. You've got a good book in front of you. 
It'll never let you down. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, look at verse 20. Curse not the king. Or if you want to update it, you can put Joe Biden in there. Well, that was pretty pathetic. No, not in thy thought. And curse not the Democrats. I'm sorry, rich. Well, y'all are worried about it. Rich in thy bedchamber. Here it is for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. There's your Twitter. I'm sorry, X. As Dr. Ruckman say, you ever study the words that end in X, man? <laughs> you see that? Uh, not only that, but the book of Matthew, your birds have a connotation to demons and devils. You say, why do you go through all that silly stuff? Is it silly? You believe the Bible? I'm trying to give you confidence in the Bible, not take it away and tell you a better rendering is this, or in the Greek it says that. I'm telling you, you can trust your King James Bible. And that social media junk is going to be right around at the second advent. And every eye will see him. You say, why you say all that? Oh, interruptions. When you begin to make spiritual progress, you've got to learn to dial things back and stop letting everyone have access to you. Your job doesn't need access to you 24-7. I don't need access to you 24-7. The only one that needs access to you 24-7 is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens is we get so, we get so whacked out and jacked out because we allow everyone to have access to us and control us, and the only one that can't get a hold of us is God himself. you got to watch for the persistent interruptions. I'm on your side here trying to help you this morning. You've got to learn to shut the thing off. Amen? Amen. But I'm important. It will be okay. We're not as important as we think we are. <coughs> if you have to get a hold of somebody, you know where everybody lives. I was thinking about when I grew up as a kid, we had a phone and had a cord on it. What did we do in life? When I grew up, we didn't even have an answering machine. It was either busy signal or I think some days dad just didn't answer the phone. Right? Now you just hit ignore. <laughs> Preacher calling, ignore. <laughs> Amen? You got to watch out for the interruptions. Amen? I think that, that uh, point got put across pretty good. Well, not only that, I want you to see, you got to, uh, here comes the personal invites. Look at verse 5. Here comes the personal invites in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. You see, the first four, they were just kind of like, look, we want to meet, we want to meet. Now the fifth time, it's personal. It's personal. You find that again in set verse 7. You find it again in verse 10. Here comes the personal invites. Here comes the private meetings. Verse 10, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple. You see that? Nehemiah is doing something for God. And you know what this uh, fella does? Oh, we got to meet together and talk about what you're doing. Let me tell you what, we don't need to talk about living for God. We need to do it. And I don't need someone who's not a part of this work saying, we need to meet on some unknown location and discuss what I disagree with you on. 
And if you're not careful, that positive approach will come in. The persistent interruptions will be there. The personal invites, all trying to get you away from what God wants you to do. You've got to learn to identify this because total Christian warfare is triggered by spiritual progress. Not only that, let me give you number two. Total Christian warfare, it targets your testimony. It targets your testimony. Look in verse, uh, that targets your testimony in verses 6 to 7. Now it targets your testimony in verse 6 through falsehoods. Look at this. Verse 6. It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it. <laughs> through falsehood. You know how people are going to try to get to you, your testimony? By lying about you. By saying things about you that just ain't true. Well, I hear over at that church, they have animal sacrifices. What are you smoking? One that got back to me, one fellow said that we talk to the devil. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Through falsehoods. I've talked to a few devils in my day, but they weren't the devil. <laughs> through falsehoods. How about this? No. Relax for a minute. Not only through falsehoods, but sometimes through females. Look at verse 14. The prophetess Noadiah. Now, y'all going to get mad at me, but I'm going to show you something. And it just happens to be uh, alliterated right in the passage. You got falsehoods. You got someone lying about you. It is reported. You know what I heard? I'm gonna, I just want to share this post, you know, because I hear that church over there. You know what they really, you don't know what we believe. You're not here enough. Matter of fact, you've never been here. You're just passing on some regurgitated baloney you heard from somebody else. Amen. I'm talking about spiritual progress, and now it's going to attack your testimony. But notice this uh, in verse 14. Look at that. There's a couple people there, ain't there? You say, why'd you put females? There's two men in there. I'm glad you asked. Well, first of all, uh, I'd have to come up with a different word that starts with an F, amen? <laughs> Being honest with you. <laughs> You thought it was some intelligent reason, didn't you? But here in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 14, My God, think thou upon Tobiah, rascal, and Sanballat, devil, according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. Now, there's something about that female there. Now, ladies, you're going to have to watch this thing. You're going to have to watch it. I preach on the men all the time, but you ladies are going to have to watch it because God's given you the ability to stir things up. And you can either do it for good or you can do it for evil. And in this case, she's stirring up these. You've got in this passage, you know what you got? You've got two Ahabs and one Jezebel right in this passage. All right, speaking of Ahab, uh, take your Bible. I'm going over to 1 Kings chapter 21. I'll show it to you. Two Ahabs and one Jezebel. Just getting stirred right up. 1 Kings chapter 21. We're talking about total Christian warfare. 1 <coughs> Kings chapter 21. You're dealing with Ahab here. Now he was, uh, he was sorry. He was no good. He was a wicked king. Amen? That's the context. He's a wicked king. You still with me? 
Now let's see why. One of the reasons why. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. Now, ladies, you have the unique privilege of being able to stir something up for good or stir it up for bad. And you got to make the choice. Am I going to stir things up for the Lord or am I going to stir things up so the spotlight's on me? And you got to watch that thing. And that thing to attack your testimony will come through falsehoods, and many times it'll come through females. You get the New Testament, Paul's going through there, starting all these New Testament churches. You find in three different places, you know who run them out of town? You say the men, they are bad men. Yes, they were. You know who stirred them up? The devout women. A woman who has the ability to stir up a man is usually married to a man that's got no guts, that's got no backbone. And, oh, yes, dear, oh, yes, right away. I'll do it right away with vigor. Amen. Yeah. That's what it is. You got to watch out for falsehoods. You got to watch out for those females. And how about back in Nehemiah chapter 6? That's good preaching right there, even if I'm trying to do it. Falsehoods, females. How about this? Frequent writings. Now, this stuff wears me out. History is littered with frequent writings. In verse 17, Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, you've got uh, there it is. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters to Tobiah came unto them. That's frequent writings all the time. You read down through that passage, all the letters do is make everybody afraid. It's just accusation after accusation, and it comes in like a rain without end. That's why you got to be careful what you read. You can't just be believing everything you see and hear. you got to spend your time with that book. You know, be very careful whose opinion you read. Frequent writings, it'll attack your testimony. And not only the frequent writings, but how about this in verse 18? You know what else will attack your testimony? Your family ties. Family ties. The Bible says in verse 18, For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, here it is, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era. You know they have a saying around these parts, and I know it to be true. Ten years in the ministry, I know from first-hand personal experience, and here it is, you ready? Blood is thicker than the Bible. That means when it comes to a family dispute, nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, people go with the blood of their kin than they do the Bible. And down south, that's 100%. But up north, about 90. That's family thought. You've got to watch that thing. It'll attack your testimony. Through falsehoods, through females, through frequent writings and family ties. Let me give you this number three, this total Christian warfare. You know what it does? It not only uh, targets your testimony, but it tempts you to sin. It tempts you to sin. And this is how it does it. Look at verse 3. It tempts you to sin by foiling the work and fooling around. Look at verse 3. Foiling the work and fooling around. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? Amen? Why should the work cease? Now, if you're here today and you're saved, praise the Lord for it. And if you're a member of the church, praise God for it. I'm not, I don't push that stuff. That's got to be holy and led by the Holy Spirit of God and of God. But let me tell you, if you're part of this work right here, don't you think you should be a part of it? I mean, if you're going to join the, do they have the odd fellows? I don't know if they have the odd fellows. They've got a moose lodge. 
I mean, if you're part of the moose or the meese or however that thing goes there, uh, you have to pay dues, right? We don't have dues here. You say, but yeah, they got better food. Well, help yourself, you know. Right? But if you're part of the work, don't, shouldn't you be part of the work? Right? If you're a Christian, where do you suppose the Lord is bound to make his appearance? I guess it would be here. Or how about this thought? If you're a Christian, where would a Christian normally be found on a Sunday? You say, but oh, I got to work. I, I get that. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Still doing it. All right, but by foiling the work and fooling around. Here's the idea. He says, why should the work cease in verse 3, whilst I leave it and come down to you? You know what the devil wants? He does not want you to quit church. I want you to think about it. The devil doesn't want you to quit church. He just wants you to quit and not come back tonight. See, the, the devil doesn't want you to quit reading your Bible. He really doesn't. He just doesn't want you to read it tonight. He doesn't want you to quit praying either. See where I'm going? He just doesn't want you to pray tomorrow when you oversleep. Fair? You know what he knows? He knows what you're already thinking. If he can get you to stop one day, he can get you to stop two days. And then three, and the next thing you know, the whole week's gone. And now there's a lot more repair work that has to be done. I mean, we're saved by grace through faith, and we're in Christ. We're never getting out of Christ. But, man, it takes maintenance. He doesn't want you to quit church. He really doesn't. He just don't want you to come back tonight. And that's foiling the work and fooling around. That's what it is. The devil doesn't want you to quit living for the Lord. He just wants you to quit living for the Lord this week. He'll say, you know what? You got next week. You need a break. You deserve it. You've been working so hard. I'm telling you what. I mean, you're even reading every one of those. Even when in First Chronicles, you're actually trying to sound out those names. I mean, you sounded stupid, but hey, you tried. Amen? He's like, just, just, just take a break. Unplug. That's what the devil says. Unplug. Uh, just kick back and, you know, just pick your favorite Netflix and just binge a little bit. It'll be okay. Well, it tempts you to sin by following the work and fooling around. Then it tempts you to sin by fearing man. Look at verse 9. For they all made us afraid. You see, it's total Christian warfare right in this passage. And that's by fearing man. They want to make you afraid by fearing man. You remember that fellow by the name of Obadiah, not the prophet that wrote the book Obadiah, one chapter long. But in 1 Kings, what is chapter 18? There's a fellow named Obadiah. And he's Ahab's governor. And the Bible says he feared God greatly. He's a good man. He's a good boy. And uh, when he runs into uh, Elijah, it totally floors him and flips him out. He's like, oh. And then he begins to tell Elijah everything he's done for the cause of Jehovah God. <clears throat> you know what the problem is? Everything that Obadiah did was in secret. Obadiah would do nothing in public. He was too afraid. It tempts you to sin. And it tempts you to sin by fearing man. Well, I don't know what they're going to say about me. 
I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can live up to that. I went to high school. Some people. I went to high school. People too. By fear and man, Obadiah, just like Obadiah. He was good. Bible even says he's a good man. Doesn't criticize Obadiah, but he was only willing to do stuff for God in secret. He fed fifty prophets in two different caves, but it was all done without anyone's knowledge. See what I mean? It's all private, all secret. Your Christianity ought to be public, Christian. The world ought to know you're a Christian, not just when you run into the preacher in Walmart or something. Well, just like Obadiah, how about like Saul? Tempt you to fear, tempt you to sin by fearing. Like Saul, in 1 Samuel 15, 24, you know know what Saul said? I fear the people. I fear the people. You know what that is? That's a social media mindset. Saul was so worried about his image, he had someone update his profile every day. Yeah, you read it. His son went out, Jonathan went out and slew a thousand men, right? You know what you find out in the next chapter? Let the Hebrews hear. Saul slew. No, he didn't. Jonathan slew and Saul blew. (laughs) That's how it went. He's worried about his image. You look at that thing over in Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, that'll teach you about social media quickly. That's why people are on it. Amen, having a good morning service. Well, fearing like Obadiah, like Saul, like Herod. By fearing man, how about this one? By fleeing from your problems. Look at verse 11. The Bible says in verse 11, Should such a man as I flee... That's what they want him to do. They want him to run away from what God wanted him to do. Christians, that's what the devil really wants us to do after it's all said and done. He just he doesn't care where we go as long as it's not where God wants us. I don't care what you do. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. That's all the devil's saying. I don't care what you do with your life. You just, I just want you doing what God wants you to do. And verse 11, he'll get you to sin by... Fleeing from your problems. You know anybody in the Bible who ran from their problems? How about Hagar? Genesis chapter 16, verse 11. 16, You know what it says after 16, Well, anyways, I'll let you read that later. What happened with Hagar is she was treated wrongly, no doubt about it. She was a slave from Egypt. I'll let you put that two and two together. And Sarai treated her wrongly. And she tried running. You know what the Lord said? Return. Return and submit yourself under your mistress. But she's treating me wrong. Go back and face your problems. See what I mean? You can be tempted to sin by running, by fleeing from your problems. The Lord didn't say, okay, huh? I hear you. I'm going to start you a coalition here because you've been treated wrongly. We're going to do all these things to help you out here. He said, no, go back to Sarah. Go back. Face your problems and submit yourself, King James English, unto her hands. So you can be tempted to sin by fleeing like Hagar, like Jacob. Remember Jacob? This is Jacob's life uh, explained in three phrases. Jacob lied, Esau cried, and Mama died. That's what happened. But Jacob took off. Mama told him to take off. Mama told him to lie. And boy, did he waste 20 years on the backside of 
I mean, you think Santa Barbara and as the world turned and Jerry Springer is rough, man. You ever read the life of Jacob? Oh, I'm going to get me more than one wife. Don't. You read Genesis 30. You won't. You won't do it. Well, not only that, you can run like Hagar. You can run like Jacob. How about like Jonah, right? Bible says in Jonah 1.3, Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All that is is a downward flight. He goes down, down, down to Joppa, down the bottom of the ship, down in the whale, right? And uh, if you don't watch it, total Christian warfare tempts you to sin by foiling the work and fooling around by fearing man and trying to run from your problems, fleeing from your problems. You can't run from your problems. You've got to face them. You've got to stop and take it. Stop and take it. You say, well, so far, preacher, all you've done is what my doctor does. He prescribes my problems but never solutions. You see it? Last one. It's tackled by pressing on. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, so the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month, Elo, in 50 and two days. It's tackled by pressing on. All right, total Christian warfare shows up. What do I do? You've got to press on. You've got to keep going. Day by day and with each passing moment. You gotta press on. You gotta press on like Paul. You gotta press on like Daniel. You gotta uh, you press on by praying often. Praying often. And you press on by pleasing the Lord. No matter what happens, you focus on pleasing Him. Look at verse 14. My God, think thou upon you see that? You don't need my eyes concerned about pleasing the Lord. That's it. You press on through prayer, you press on through pleasing the Lord. With the right perception in verse 12, Nehemiah says, And lo, I perceive that God had not sent him. And then you get the right purpose in verse 14. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambal, according to these their works. And on the prophets of Obadiah and the rest of the prophets have put me into fear. You know what that does? It gives them your problems to God. It gives you and me a clear head. And it gives you and I strength to go on. That's how you got to do it. And finally, we're done. It gives you the right power in verse 16. And it came to pass when all our enemies had heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of God. Here it is. There it is. That's the message this morning. Total Christian warfare. I've given you uh, just under an hour and some of you about ready to pass out. Total Christian warfare. Some Christians never seem to face it because they refuse to live in submission to God and His Word. But those who do, man, seem to get it in the neck every single day. And some of you are going to get it and get it and get it, but I'm telling you, you've got to tackle it by pressing on. Pressing on. Have you been able to sing the song, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. You've got to press on, Christian. You've got to keep going. You can't stop. You can't unplug unless it's your cell phone, amen. You can't unplug from the Christian life. You've got to keep going you got to endure hardness as a good soldier. Why? The war is upon us, and it's triggered by your spiritual progress. The devil knows you're trying. The Lord knows you're trying. you got to keep pressing on. Are you pressing on this morning? Are you putting the Word of God inside of you? Are you praying for strength? As uh, the pianist comes to the piano this morning, we just take a few minutes, and we're done. I'll give you an opportunity to ask the Lord for help this week. For this war. You know the wisest man in the world, Solomon, says there is no discharge in this war. We're in it. We're in it till the end. 
and I want to go out the right way. I want to tackle Christian warfare with the right spirit, get the right purpose, and have the right power. All right, as she begins to play, and if the Lord spoke to you about the war this week, why don't you just come talk to him? Come ask help. Ask help for this week. You say, I'll do it later. Do it now. Ask the Lord for help. I need help in this Christian war.